and you think about if that is going to be the new normal, warmer waters, bigger waves, bigger impact, you think about the whole thing, right? Okay, so what do you do as a society? And we're all think about all the innovation that uh, comes up there in terms of communication, first responders. My first thought was, yeah, I wonder how they can better protect themselves in the future. Right. And then I wonder how they can, how do you do better cleanup of such a disaster? You can't 100% prevent any of this stuff. But I mean, it's another room for when you think about it, I mean, it could take years for them to clean up from this 24-hour, 48-hour period. How do you make right. that weeks? Right. Welcome to Innovation Talks. Join us weekly as we discuss with distinguished industry guests how to refine and improve corporate innovation and new product development. Hosted by Paul Heller, Sophion Chief Evangelist. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the show. Thanks for joining me again. Hope you're having a great week. You know, one of my first guests on this podcast was our CEO, Greg Kotikia, and it's been too long. It's been 18 months and we haven't had him back. So we finally twisted his arm and he's free to come back. Hi, Greg. How are you today? I am well today. My arm feels well and twisted, Paul, but I am <laughs> delighted. And I mean that. And I want to congratulate you since, since starting this. Okay. So Give the listeners, how many episodes have you done of this podcast, Paul? <laughs> I've stopped counting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's been going on for what? Weekly, a year and a half? every week for 18 months. So multiply that out. 18 months. Yeah. Unbelievable, isn't it's it? It's been fun. But what a we journey. Had some great guests, some really top guests in there, too. It's been a lot of fun. And then you had me. And then we, we started with you, and now we got you again. <laughs> but we're not ending here. This is no, just a. Hardly. This is just a. It's like a bookmark. That's like right. Bookmark, exactly. Right? But the next time's yeah. got to be faster than 18, than 18 months. <laughs> no, I agree with you. But congratulations. And I know that it's created a lot of value for people who listen to and, and care about innovation. Thanks. Speaking about innovation. So let's yes. check in. Let's check yes. in. You know, kind of kind of <laughs> let's talk about where we are kind of the state today and where we're going. What, what it, We'll do a little bit of projection of future of innovation. But if you kind of look at where things are, let's start today. What do you think? You know, Paul, I know on this show, you are used to asking questions and having these big brain people show up who the things, but we're going to make this, this is going to be conversational. So I'm going to, I get to ask you questions too. <laughs> okay, good, good. <laughs> but I think, you know, it's an interesting question as you reflect about innovation. And I think innovation, wow, there's so much to think about when you think about it. But one of the truths of innovation is it takes an external impetus almost like in a sales process where you're trying to find pain or a problem that needs to be solved, there needs to be an external impetus to create innovation in any business or industry, right? And I think the greatest single piece of impetus there has been that we are still living through the consequences is the pandemic for the last two years. Now, you know, most of us would say that the pandemic is quote unquote over, right? But if you look at the economy, you look at, you know, just economic issues of the world, we are still in the throes of the consequences of that. And then if you look at, I would say the other uh, issue 
geopolitically is what is going on in Eastern Europe and the potential consequences there as well in terms of what could potentially happen, right? And I think both of those, just like 9-11 had a consequence for a long period of time on business and on people and culture, I think these will be long-reaching impacts. I mean, we're still, is there a day that goes by that we don't read an article on work from home from anywhere? Right, exactly. It's still a debate. Yeah. It's a big debate. People on every side of it, people with solutions, people that, is it going to last? I, I was a poll yesterday on LinkedIn. Is, is work from home here to stay, you know? But it's a direct consequence of COVID. Now, if, let's just assume that. Let's pull on that thread for a minute. If it is here to stay, and even in a, in a small or large format, think of the innovation consequences of that, both to the innovator, to the innovations. And that's just one consequence of COVID. Exactly. Yeah. What do you think, Paul? What do well, you I watch companies like Apple trying to bring people back. And there's a lot of people resisting it. Some companies have said, you know what? We can be much more innovative or much more creative when we're face-to-face. And, and other companies are, are, are kind of taking a different view on that. So you're absolutely right. But what struck me was the, the amount of innovation that happened during and even now afterwards. So I'll give one example. Local grocery store here. You know, I can get on their app. I can order my groceries. I can build my list throughout the week. When I'm ready, check out, push a button, and drive over there and pick it up. But now, so that was, okay, they, they kind of, perf- they had that before the pandemic, didn't work well. They perfected it during the pandemic because people didn't want to go into the store. And, and sometimes I don't want to go in the store. Sometimes it's still just easier for me. It's not that I'm afraid to go in the store anymore. It's just easier. I'm just going to go pick them up. You know, I don't have to think. I just go order it ahead of time, push a button. Somebody else finds the the bottle of ketchup in the store because I can't figure out what aisle it's on, right? They do all that. So then I show up. But now, as of, I don't know, not too long ago, the app has a new feature where I can click and say I'm on my way. And then my phone says, do you want to share your location? Sure, I share my location. So then they know when I'm going to arrive. So it used to be you arrive and you call the phone number. Then you arrived and you could key in your parking spot number in your app. Now you're on the way. They, they, know, they know where I am. And for me, I don't have a problem with that. It works well for me. If you don't, you can opt out. But still, something so simple as shopping at a grocery store is, is really just because of the pandemic, all new. And let me let me just one of my favorite things when I think about that grocery store uh, story that you just shared, which is really killer, right? And it just goes to show you how not only the the entire customer journey experience was reorganized and people adapted and changed. When again, it goes back to my not that I'm so smart, but the uh, the original comment about that external impetus or right. pain or problem, right? Yeah, you and I both are old enough. Well, maybe you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to remember Webvan. Do you remember Webvan? Webvan. No, I don't remember. That was before my time. Go ahead. <laughs> no, come on. I know you remember this. I had to Web say it. Webvan was founded in two. Well, actually, it was founded in the mid-90s, but it operated for three years. They raised 
Crazy. $400 million. $400 million 20-some years ago. That was real money then, right? And and what was it? Home grocery delivery. Exactly. And it went out of business. You know what? I was like, oh, I don't need that. And I'm not letting you in my home. And I'm not, you know. I remember when I was working down in uh, Northern Virginia at the time, Webvan was out. Shame on me. I can't remember the uh, the grocery store. But they partnered with Sears. You may have heard of Sears. Oh, yeah. I remember them well. <laughs> and what they did is, so when you did your home grocery shopping, and they had a pick list on their, on their site for what you wanted, um, they put a refrigerator from Sears in your house, in wow. your garage. They'd come and fill it. And they would come and fill it for you and then set all the groceries in an area that they had associated with it. And I had people in that I was like, oh, yeah, I do. I order them Tuesday night. I go online and I order all my stuff. And this is 20 years ago, yeah. right? And I always thought, oh, gee, I wonder why that never caught on. Well, it's caught on now. It sure has. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you give a code. You give Amazon a code to your garage and they, they put it in your garage. They open and close it. And it's all, you know, they're, they're building trust and confidence that people are willing to do that. So. I think you're you're right. You think about that, this whole disruption with DoorDash and home delivery and grocery stores, and it's changed habits of buying that I think, well, people will go back to their, you know, some of it. Some of it is never going to change. People are going to continue to buy certain ways, and that's going to be the end. Of it. Yeah, that's for sure. So, yeah, you're right. I mean, we talked the last time, you know, we were talking about everything going digital, Right, the growth of of software. I think you said software eating the world, and that's Andreessen's statement. We're just still seeing it. I mean, it's it's amazing the pace that's taken off, isn't it? The app that I feel like I must be the only person that didn't realize this, but you know, I don't know if this is directly involving with COVID. But I was one of the things that um, I was like, wow, that that is amazing. Home Depot has an ad out right now that highlights their in-store shopping experience. And if I remember the ad correctly, basically you you find the, the the product online, right? You find out if it's in inventory at your local Home Depot. But what's great about it is when you get to the store, it, it basically directs you to the aisle where it is, the app. Absolutely. Then, you know, so you know it's in inventory. You don't waste your time going to the store. Oh, I wonder if they have one. You know it's there. And then when you're there, they tell you what aisle to get it in. And then you check out like that, the self-checkout. I'm like, wow, that is amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So there's a lot less people wandering around in Home Depot because we've right. always wandered around. Where is that thing? And then what's it called, right? Right. <laughs> Try to describe it. When you find somebody, you say, well, I need the thing that hooks the, this thing to that thing. I don't know the name of it, right? When you go online, you see the picture of it. You say, yeah, that's what I want. <laughs> 2022, can you believe that, you know, Home Depot highlights a mobile application as a distinct value proposition for a big box hardware retailer. <laughs> I mean, just think about that. That That's really, you know, if you were, if you were, uh, you know, you saw that ad and you went back in the time machine to 1970, you'd be like going, what? Right, yeah. And it is about the value, right? I mean, they've tapped into value. And to your early point of you just don't make something and then, and then push it out there and hope it sticks, right? 
there's a problem. There's a cha- there's a there's a shopping problem in Home Depot. They've probably known about it for years. Nobody can find anything in this store. Uh, I don't know what took them so long to develop it, but but they have, right? And they have, and 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 so they they've recognized, hey, we can provide value to your point. You know, one of the things it reminds you of is the old uh, Jeffrey Moore crossing the chasm yeah. uh, whole whole product definition, right? You know, it's not just about looking for this tool that does this job for me, but it's also the whole customer journey buying experience of getting to that tool. And gee, I'd rather buy it from Home Depot because I have a better customer journey buying experience. It was just an easier, less friction buying experience than their competitors, right? And so that, that all goes back to your point, Paul, value, goes back to value proposition. What else did you see, by the way? So you were, you were on a roll about COVID and the innovations that were created by COVID. Were there other things that you observed that, that happened during COVID that you, you thought were a direct impact of uh, innovation because of COVID? Well, yeah, I think the whole, and it, I heard, I recently interviewed Franny Matthews, who's the head of the Colorado Technology Alliance. And she said, software people save the day. Well, in a way they did, right? Because we had to learn how to work from home, all of us, no matter what our job was. Her point was that technology, you know, rose to the occasion and we had all sorts of new ways of communicating to each other and interacting. And that all has stuck. I don't know of a, I don't know of a single time. I mean, all of our customer interactions today are, are through the web, you know, through, in our case, Microsoft Teams. But it's expected, the whole behaviors of how you interact with each other, and then all the technology that's made that possible uh, is just amazing that's come out of that as well. I think one of the things that also I was impressed by that I think is forever changed is telehealth. I spent time at the University of Pittsburgh in tech transfer, and of course, Pitt is a big you know, they received, I think the last number was like a billion dollars in R&D, most of it around life sciences and uh, medical devices and things like that. So they're very focused on that area. And I remember the regulatory environment for telehealth was just, you know, between insurance companies, non-reimbursement and, and, and doctors adopting it and all kinds of things. It's like, oh, there's this, this friction and that friction and this problem and that problem. I was like, great idea, really benefits the consumer. But too many hurdles, not going to make it happen. And then COVID come along, right? And then all of a sudden, well. Yeah, all of a sudden, it was possible. It's possible. All of a sudden, how amazing how all that friction went away. Yeah. Now I'm on an encrypted session with my uh, physician's assistant, getting my you know meds updated and getting my checkup. And I'm like, funny how this works. <laughs> Again, it goes to that external impetus. Like, okay, now we have to. Let's figure out a way to do it. Yeah, here's another one, Greg. And I don't know if, I mean, whether it's coincidence that the timing of this happened with COVID or whether COVID was a cause of it, but certainly today, I don't care what, what business you talk to, there's a, there's a problem finding workers. There's not enough workers, right? There were not enough dock workers at the ports in LA, right? During COVID. You know, there's, there's not enough workers in medicine for sure. Hotels. All, everywhere you go, there's just not enough people and everything takes longer. And so this this is driving a tremendous amount of innovation to find different ways to get work done, right? So if I have to interact with a company and they don't have enough people, 
right? How do I interact with them? And, you know, we're going to, you know, see things like you're going to be, it's not there yet, but, you know, checking into a hotel. Well, they don't have enough people working in the hotels these days, right? There's a huge opportunity there for somebody to innovate around that whole experience of going to the hotel. They certainly don't have enough people cleaning the rooms, right? So how about I can say, well, clean my room, not clean my room, right? I'm good today, but you know what? I need new towels or whatever, but without having to call a front desk, which doesn't work because they don't answer because there's not enough people working at the front desk. So I think labor, the lack of labor is driving tremendous innovation. I think that I think you put your finger on a really, really big issue. And I think they're really at the as hotels come back. That's a great example, by the way. You and I were both traveling last week. I had that same experience. The two things that you were just talking about. I found it fascinating. I got an email from the hotel, you want to check in here, go to our app, right? I went to the app, I did a digital check-in, which gave me my room key. I bypassed the front desk, which was, so I just walked right in and went right in my room and I selected my room, right? So all those things that the front desk did for me, which was, you know, take my payment, select my room, uh, give me my key, were all done without touching anybody, right? Or interacting with anybody. Now, to your other point, though, you're absolutely correct. And I found, well, at least my own experience in this, just this last week was similar to what you stated, which is, you know, that there's no more automatic cleaning of the room. But if even if you call down, there's nobody there, right? Because there's one person at the, you know, managing the whole front desk, whereas there's stations for five, right? Correct. And, uh, but they can't either find them, they can't afford them, whatever. It's a combination of all those things. And yeah, it'd be nice if they, they would complete that whole circle of like, I'm in the room and by the way, and send that message to housekeeping and then that gets taken care of, right? That all, that whole thing needs to be, but it will come. Believer, I'm a believer. Yeah, that's the cool part is it, they didn't wait and wait 10 years and build the whole solution, right? They got a piece of it. They're going to keep iterating on it, just like the grocery store, right? They're going to just keep making it better. For sure, 10 years ago, we didn't have this kind of innovation. It might have been there in you know, Google and Microsoft, but it wasn't there in every brand we know and touch as consumers these days, and now it is. So, Paul, I'm going to throw you a curveball because of your background skills and experience. Look at that. He's like going, he's like, oh. <laughs> so we've been talking about b2c experiences because yeah. we, we all felt those anything in your experience in this last two years with covid that you saw in terms of b2b customers that you think also had a similar style of innovation impact or a change yeah, well, I think the first thing that comes to my mind is a lot of B2B companies are somewhere in a supply chain, right? They're caught between one supplier and their customer, right? And so they've had to look at new ways of of dealing with their 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 supply chain and their customers. The supply chain's driving everybody crazy, right? And so you have to just really innovate to to try to find well, what are our alternatives? How might we make our products different, right? We have to look at different materials because we can't get the materials we want. But on the other hand, you've got performance expectations of your customer. When you go B2B, the, the specification of your product is much stronger than you go B2C. So 
your customer is going to ask you for specifications. How much does it weigh? You know, what type of tensile strength does it have? Right? They have all these things if it's, let's say, a physical product, where when we go buy a toothbrush in the store, we don't care how much it weighs. We don't care. The, right? So the consumer expectations are different than B2B. And so there's a lot of innovation going that's trying to say, well, how do we continue to meet those specific needs of our customers with maybe a slightly different product. So I've seen that come as a result of, of the supply chain impact. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. You know, the whole supply chain being screwed up. I mean, you look at all these B2P, B2B suppliers and even going to my other point, that's non-COVID, the uh, war in Europe has really messed up between energy sources and raw materials that Ukraine used to provide and uh, other things that have created massive disruptions in terms of supply chain. Yeah, yeah. So I think, you know, the B2B companies are in many ways looking at digital technology, right? How can they better serve their customers? How can they better interact with their suppliers, right? So they're all investing in digital just like the consumers are, maybe for slightly different reasons. But different reasons, is, right. Yeah, yeah, but still the need. Right. We just, had a, we just had a great webinar, just got off of it this morning, and we were talking about sustainability in the supply chain, right? Yeah. And so, and all the challenges, and that's, you know, that's all B2B right there. Yeah. Okay. At the end, you might be the, if you're the final tier, you're the B2C person. But if you're stuck in the middle there, you're B2B and just talking about all those implications and challenges. So let's spend a minute on that. What do you think about that's a whole different type of impact? And that doesn't go to our original thesis of this conversation about COVID, but still is a another external impetus. That is really driving innovation, which is it sustainability, is. right? Absolutely. And I think our European friends are way ahead of us in terms of sustainability than we are in the States. And you spend a lot of your time in Europe and, and not only uh, working there, but living there. And so you probably have an appreciation of those differences better than the average American does. And it is truly driving innovation in products. Tell, tell us a, maybe a, even a little bit of summary from what you just talked about, Paul. Well, we did. So in Europe, in some parts of the world, there's much more consumer awareness around sustainability, right? So, so the brand, the brand association with sustainability is going to be more important in some parts of the world than others. The statistics are that still only 25% of companies are, or less than 25%, are actually trying to deal with sustainability in their supply chain because it's hard, right? Yet 80%, 80% of the impact, or 90% of the impact, depending on which industries, is in the supply chain. So you're a producer of, of goods, and, and you... you you got your own things that you have, your manufacturing facility, your energy consumption, what and what, but 90% of the sustainability impact of your product is down the supply chain somewhere, multiple tiers down. And so how hard that is, how difficult that is, is what we were talking about. And it was really fun because our guest, Jeffrey Whitford, was, he was talking about how they're doing it and and the approaches they're taking. And it was just, just fascinating to listen to. And the message was it's hard, 
like you said, lots of innovation. He shared tremendous amount of innovation stories around that. To riff a little bit on B2C, but you think about packaging and and materials and content that now consumers expect in what they have. I mean, I just read an article. Let's see, it's Thursday. It must have been Monday of this week. Again, we I thought we were past the point of plastic bottles beside their plastic water bottles beside their being a pollutant. But even taking out all the the bad stuff in them, there's still bad stuff in them, yeah. evidently, this report just said, you know. So it's just like, okay, so you know, you you see cartons of water. Is that safer? I don't know, you know. I mean, and that's a simple example. I mean, when yeah. you think about the complex examples of materials and whether it's engines or computer chips or whatever it is that someone's building, even packaging, you know, uh, you know cheese or whatever, or, or, or yeah. breakfast, or, the expectations of, of the materials around it, what goes into it, everything is driving innovation, changing what it is. And they, ha- they are really at the point of rethinking the product. They're rethinking the entire product. Absolutely. I got to share a funny story. I got to love these stories. I was flying on a plane from Vienna to Krakow recently. And they give out a bottle of water, right? So I take the bottle of water and I unscrew the cap. And it's sort of like stuck to the to the, to the bottle. And I keep trying, pulling on this thing. I'm trying. I don't know why. I don't know why I shouldn't just leave the cap there. Fine. It's not hurting anything. But I want to get that cap off of the bottle. And, and I, I couldn't get it. I was really pulling pretty hard. And the lady next to me says, you're supposed to leave the cap on the bottle. I says, oh, my yeah. goodness. I'd never seen that. It's so cool, right? But there you go. That's that's innovation in packaging for sure. Huge. Can you imagine the time it went to figure out the material? Yes. The you know the sizing of that to make sure that someone like you can't just pull that off. Correct. Right? I mean, there was a lot of engineering going in. Tremendous amount. Tremendous amount. <laughs> and so yeah, it's a that is a great example of an innovation, right? That all of a sudden you just didn't think about it, you know. That's right. Now it's right there in front of you on that airplane. And what do I do? I tell everybody I know about this experience, right? Yes. I think the sustainability moment, even though Americans are a little slow to uh, <laughs> slow to react to it, I think we'll get there, and and it's yeah, it's going to really force the hand of a lot of companies that own. They're major market leaders in their space, and they're gonna ha- it's going to disrupt them because they're going to have to rethink all the content and materials. I mean, we see this already. I shouldn't be so dramatic, but I just think that it's a tsunami that's going to come even more so. It is. It is. And you look at a company like Millipore Sigma, right? Of course, they're owned by a German company, but they are American. Jeffrey Whitford was American, and they're all over this. So it's starting. It's starting. And yeah, they just the ball's got to start somewhere, right? Yeah. Yeah. By the way, Paul, I've been informed while we were on this call that you have Time's reported. Up? No. <laughs> yeah, no. Almost, but we can, we can even wrap up. Speaking of innovation, you as a thought leader and innovator, you've done 93. Okay. Ninety-three <laughs> of Innovation Talks podcasts. Holy mackerel, that's a lot. It's a lot. Yeah, well, I got more to go. <laughs> more to go. 
So we talked about sustainability. We talked about COVID. Yeah. We talked about geopolitical war impacts, all these major impacts that at the end of the day directly come back to reasons why people have to innovate. Did we forget anything, Paul? Was that enough? No, no, I think that was enough. I mean, you know, question would be what's next? And I don't think we know what's next, right? What's the next impact? We can't predict that. But I think we've had so many hit us so fast right now that I think people are saying, okay, we need to be more resilient. We need to be more expected that there's going to be more disruption, right? Well, I think about a recent event that happened the last couple of days in Florida, and whether you're a climate denier or a climate change believer or whatever, it certainly was a massive hurricane that came through. And you think about if that is going to be the new normal, warmer waters, bigger waves, bigger impact, you think about the whole thing, right? Okay, so what do you do as a society? And we're all think about all the innovation that it comes up there in terms of communication, first responders, all these people that are down there that all have these beautiful lanai's and fences and everything in your Florida home. And they're all gone. Like that was like the first thing just the wind just, you know, took all those away, right? Let alone the water coming up in your house and everything. My first thought was, yeah, I wonder how they can better protect themselves in the future. Right. And then I wonder how they can better, how do you do better cleanup of such a disaster. You can't 100% prevent any of this stuff. But I mean, it's another room for when you think about it, I mean, it could take years for them to clean up from this, you know, 24 hour, 48 hour period. How do you make that weeks? How do you make right. that weeks? Right, right. Great chances for innovation. They are. They really are. And there's, there's, uh, they're all over the place. When you see a, a situation like this, uh, you say, well, you're going to end up with more of this in the future, more of these climate-related crises, and so we've got a we've got a plan. And at the at the core of that is is innovation, whether it's technology-based, process-based, services-based, whatever it is. You know, there has to be innovation that's going to make us more. To your your exact words, resilient. You know, you've got to be more resilient. Yeah. Well, lots of great stuff. It's a fun time to be in innovation, isn't it? I think so, Paul. I'm glad you and I are in it. Yeah, it's a hot place to be. There's a lot going on, yeah. and I think people have problems to solve, and I'm hoping we're doing our part to help them. Yeah, and when you look at the most innovative companies, you look at those lists. I mean, it's, it's, it's companies that are applying technology in new and different ways, isn't it? It is. You know, we tend to think technology first. Yeah, which is wrong. <laughs> which is wrong because I think your bottle cap was a great example that I would hope that others would see as innovation as well, right? Because it really is adapting and solving a problem. Yeah, some of it's a new product development. You know, I, I'll go with all that stuff. But I'll look at it as innovation. I'm still going to label that innovation. I would. Yeah, yeah. I, I still think that, that that was a real innovation there. I mean, that was a significant, maybe small, but very important innovation. Somebody had an idea, right? They vetted that idea. They certainly didn't just jump in. They said, what would this look like, right? They probably had to do, as you said, a lot of scientific research to figure it out, right? Then they came out with it. And now they're unique. And now it's, yeah, and it's, and it's adding value. So yeah, 
I think we tend to knee jerk to technology. It's not always the right answer. You know, sometimes it's just a change in behavior or change in process or some other way of achieving the same result. But yeah, I think when you look at the list, there is a lot of innovations going on. You know, the other thing I'll just comment on innovation too is, you know, when I worked in a university environment, innovation, I always thought this was kind of silliness, but, you know, everyone needs a KPI or some kind of metric. But they measure innovation in terms of number of patents, you know, or at least it's a significant And I think to myself, okay, well, I don't want to diminish patents. Certainly that's an achievement and and something that should be acknowledged, you know, and it's a lot of work and a lot of time. But I don't think it's the equivalent of of material innovation. And it's certainly, I think it's a small part in many ways of what is innovation. Think of how many patents GE had, right? Right. You, You read the top innovators I mean, I think at one time, you know, Kodak and Xerox were at the top of the list of top patent issuers and holders yeah. every year, and somehow they're not here anymore. Right, right, right. <laughs> so <laughs> it does get to that market, that customer, whoever your customer is, right? Understanding what's value to them. I don't think customers care if you have a patent. They care if you help them do something better, right? <laughs> well stated. They don't care if it's patented or not, right? Does it help me do my job? Does it help me solve this problem? And, you know, can you get it to me in a way that is easy for me to consume and use? If it's patented, that's wonderful. But, yeah, I I never quite understood that as a leading indicator. It may be one indicator of the type of work, but it certainly doesn't equate innovation overall. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a great place to wrap this one up, Greg. That was great. I just fun talking to you. Uh, anytime, Paul. I just hope that I've earned the right to come back sooner. <laughs> How about next week? <laughs> because we should talk at some point about the future of innovation. Right? We should talk about that. What's it going to look like? Where's it going? Well, I, I want to say again, for all the people who listen to this regularly and those that may have just listened and tuned into this one, Thank you and congratulations on 90 plus innovation <laughs> podcast. You have had a tremendous amount of interesting guests from a wide variety of backgrounds and experiences. And, and I know it's, it's a beautiful body of work. Thanks. I'll put it in under that. And I think if people are interested and they, they hear this one, they ought to dig around to some of the other ones because I'm sure that they provide a lot of value. Yeah, they're all out on the Sophion website as well as whatever podcasting platform you use. And, and you could search. You could search for product management. You could search for sustainability. You could just search for innovation, radical innovation. They're all out there. So, yeah, I, when we get to 100, then then you can gra- congratulate me. We'll, we'll have a little, <laughs> little, little celebratory drink. How about almost that? Almost there. Yeah, almost. Okay. Well, Greg, thanks okay. again. Thanks, have a great Paul. Yeah, have a great week ahead. Thanks for joining us. You too. And to you, our listeners, thanks for listening in. It's always fun to just talk about innovation with no specific aim. And we just kind of we just kind of talk about all the neat stuff that's happening. So thanks for joining us. Have a great week, everybody. Take care. and Bye for now. Thanks for joining us this week for Innovation Talks with Paul Heller. If you enjoyed the show, please like and subscribe on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple, or wherever you listen to podcasts. For additional information on today's topic, check out sophion.com. 
S-O-P-H-E-O-N.com, where you will find plenty of innovation-centric content and corporate best practices. If you'd like to discuss anything with Paul or would like to get in touch with the show, email us at talks at sophion.com.